Welcome to the Nashville Vineyard Podcast. For more information, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a great day. Well, we have made it to another week. Um, I didn't used to celebrate that, but I feel like each week is kind of a big deal. So we made it, uh, made it through another time. And uh, we're back here. And I just wanted to, to say thank you so much for, for gathering with us here um, and for, uh, for taking time uh, to spend uh, on this Sunday. If you're listening to this on Sunday, maybe you're, you're some of the ones that are listening to it throughout the week or on a podcast, but we just want to say welcome. Um, we miss you. We wish we could be uh, doing this face-to-face, but uh, things continue uh, to develop and push us here. So we're here today, and I wanted to talk to you for just uh, a few moments about what I feel like the Lord is doing and saying in this moment right now with us. If you'll think back to uh, the past few sermons, messages, videos we've done, we've talked through diff- different aspects that the Lord leads his people. Uh, we've talked through Exodus and in the wilderness, uh, how the Lord leads his people through there. We talked through Jeremiah and exile and how God continues to lead and speak to his people. We talked last week about uh, sort of the judgments of God on his people in regards to King Saul and, and how that worked out for him, which, spoiler alert, wasn't too well. Ho- hopefully you guys read First uh, and Second Kings I, and or First and Second Samuel. It's great, great reading, and uh, hopefully you took some time this week to do that. This week we're transitioning a bit. We, we're going to talk a little bit about how the Lord deals with with people outside of His people. So how does He deal with the rest of the world? How does He look at the rest of the world? And in turn, then, how should we, as a people of God, think about and and view those that don't believe in Jesus, that haven't bound their knee, that would not be uh, considered, they wouldn't call themselves Christians or Jesus followers? We want to know, in this time, what's our posture to be like? How how are we supposed to to engage with the world? And how, how are we supposed to see God engaging with the world, maybe with your your neighborhood, uh, your friend group, your office, your city. I recognize that people are tuning in all over the world right now, and, and that's amazing, and thank you for this. Um, but wherever it is you're at right now, we, we want to start to think about how does God look, deal, and act towards people that really are, are maybe even set up against him and against his people, as people of God, we, we have to continue to, to be like Jesus. And so we want to we interact and engage with the world around us in the same manner that, that God will. And so we want to begin to think like God, right? We, we want to renew our minds and have the mind of Christ so that we, we begin to, to discern between what are his ways, which last week we talked about, are they're higher than our ways. His ways are different. They're greater. Once we begin to, to figure out 
how does the Lord think and move? Now, we, we're, we're never going to know the depths of that, right? I mean, obviously, he's God. If, if you could know everything that God thinks and does, he really wouldn't be God, right? So he's, he's infinite. He's more. He's greater. He's, he's completely set apart and, and wonderful. But we can't, we can't begin to fathom all that's in his head. But the scriptures do give us a window into some of his thought process and some of his heart towards humanity, towards his church. And that's what we've been talking about before, the people of God. And also towards the, the greater world, those who have, have yet to come to faith uh, in Jesus, have yet to make him uh, their God. And so we have to, we have to engage with the world in the way that God chooses to engage. And so he gives us his scriptures as a great way to, to help us and guide us and lead us into the truth of how he does that. So, so this week, we're going to be looking at the story of Jonah. Now, Jonah uh, you, you may have uh, memories of this. If, if you're um, a product of a Western church, and uh, I know people are you know, in different parts of the world right now, but maybe you grew up in a small church where there was a Sunday school and they had these felt boards or these, uh, these different things. And Jonah was the story of the guy that got swallowed by the whale, right? And so for many of us, that's, that's really all Jonah is, is the story of the guy getting swallowed by a fish or a whale and then um, vomited back up on the beach. But Jonah is actually an incredible story. It's a, it's a rich book. Uh, it's four chapters. Obviously, I'm going to encourage you to take some time to read this book uh, this week. But the book of Jonah is about Jonah. Good. And Jonah was a, was a prophet of God. He was one of God's people. He spoke. So in the Old Testament, God would appoint and anoint prophets to go out and proclaim the words that the Lord has uh, for the people, for, for the people of God and then for the people outside. And so prophets would go in and they would prophesy to kings. They would speak to uh, government. They would speak to, speak to nations. And they would do some pretty wild stuff. And so, so throughout the Old Testament and those stories, we, we read about the prophets. And so there's, there's, you know, whole books of the Bible written by, for, and about the prophets. And Jonah was one of these prophets of God, appointed and anointed to speak on behalf of God. And so God comes to Jonah in the first chapter and says, hey, I've got a message for the people of Nineveh. So lot there. We're not going to get into it too far, but you have to know that Nineveh was what the scriptures would call a wicked city. In other words, they did not ascribe to the Hebrew God. They did not, um, they did not ascribe to the ways of the Lord. They were even positioned hostile against his ways, and they were, um, they were not on the team of God's people, so to speak. And so Jonah was on the team of God's people, and Jonah experienced, honestly, what would be racism towards uh, the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was an incredible, it was, it was like the, the, um, the power seat of the world at that time. Thought leaders, culture leaders, uh, it, it was a rich city. The scriptures in Jonah later tell us that it takes about three days to walk from one end of the city to the other city. So it was huge, it was expansive, hundreds of thousands of people lived in Nineveh. 
And God tells Jonah, I've got a message for the people of Nineveh. Nineveh, I'm coming, and I'm coming to judge that city. And I'm going to bring my judgment on that city. And then Jonah does something very interesting. Jonah, a person that has been appointed, remember, to, to speak for God. He knows God's ways probably more intimately than, than most of the people living on the planet at that time. Because he's in really regular communication with God as, as a spokesperson uh, for God. So he's very familiar with the ways and the heart of God. When Jonah gets this message, Jonah decides to run. He decides to leave where he was at, and he sails as far as away as he possibly could to a city called Tarshish. He's on, he's on his way there, and he's fleeing the city. It doesn't really give us a lot of insight in chapters 1 and 2 about why Jonah is running. But, but the Lord says, go to Nineveh. I'm, I'm coming to them with judgment. I want you to tell them that I'm coming to them with judgment. I want you to warn them. And, and instead of going and obeying the Lord and, and doing his one job, I mean, Jonah has one job to do, he, he then turns and he goes as far away as possible from those people. He gets on a ship full of pagan um, sailors, it tells us. They're taking him to Tarshish. A, a big giant storm comes. It rocks the boat. The people in the ship have, have enough discernment to go. Something is up with the storm that's not natural. It's supernatural. What's going on? They finally come to the conclusion that it has to do with Jonah. Jonah's asleep. They wake him up and say, what's up, man? And Jonah says, uh, you know, you should throw me overboard because this is my fault. Eventually, they relent. They throw him overboard. Then he gets swallowed by the fish. This is what you remember about Jonah. And he's in the belly of the fish. And so the, the whole story is just wild. And Jonah is, is in the belly of this fish, this whale or whatever it is. And he comes to this moment where he says, interesting, God, you've really never left me. Like the fact that he was in a fish, he recognizes as God's still provision and sovereignty that he was keeping him uh, there. And so he, he, he says a prayer, really doesn't apologize uh, for, for running the opposite way or anything like that. But he says, all right, I'll do it. I'll go. And so uh, as soon as he does that, the scriptures say that uh, God causes the fish to vomit him up. He vomits him up. And as he's walking to Nineveh, I mean, he's, he's, he's going to Nineveh and, and he's really upset. I mean, he, he doesn't want to do this. He's begrudgingly obeying the Lord. And I don't know if you can ever relate to that. I, I sure can't. I, I, I've done that multiple times where I'm doing what he said, but man, I, I wish I didn't have to. Well, this is Jonah. And he's going and still, we're, we're still a little bit perplexed as we're reading this story. Because what's the big deal? Why, why does Jonah not want to go deliver really these words of judgment to, to, to God's enemies that are set up against him? Why, why is he so concerned about that? We're, we're going to get to that. So we're going to read, start reading in Jonah chapter 3. Now, honestly, we're going to read like the whole chapter 3. But in, in my Bible, it's like only like that. So it's, it's not a lot. But if you want to go ahead and, and, and click to chapter 3, turn to chapter 3, you can. I'm going to pray and invite the Holy Spirit to begin to open our eyes up as we, as we begin to unpack uh, what happens next in the book of Jonah. So, Holy Spirit, we welcome you today to come, to come even more, to fill us afresh again. W would you open our eyes to, to see what it is you have for us, our, 
our ears to hear what it is that you're saying to us through your scriptures and our hearts to receive and to actually begin to make the changes necessary in our lives as, as your word becomes uh, real and alive to us. Jesus, we, we declare as we do every week, as we do every day of every moment, that you are Lord, not just of our life, but Lord of our circumstances, Lord of, of our household, our neighborhood. There, There is no God but you, and we put you higher than anything else in our lives right now. We just, we just, the worries, the anxieties, the fears, all of that has to bow its knee to King Jesus. So Jesus, would you have your way in this time today? And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So we're going to pick up chapter three, the book of Jonah. Jonah is kind of hard to find because um, it's sandwiched right in the middle of kind of longer books. And so maybe it's taking you uh, a little bit to find it, but that's okay. Um, we're going to start in, in, in chapter three and, uh, and we're going to, we're going to start in verse one and says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was it. That's Jonah's sermon. That's his message. It's almost like he's being, you know, purposefully obtuse about uh, what he's supposed to deliver and what he's supposed to say. Doesn't even mention God. Doesn't say anything. That's all he gets out of his mouth. It's, it's five words in the Hebrew. That's it. And so you, it's almost like you can tell the the anger that is within him and you you can read on and see that we're not just reading into this he says i am so angry i want to die so he's really really mad about this and we still don't know as we're reading the story of this we pick up in verse five and this is what's incredible so the people of nineveh believed god they proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone who turns... Uh, let everyone turn from his evil way and from violence that is in his hand. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? So sackcloth, ashes, that's all weird if, you, if you're not familiar with it. Essentially what that is, is that's, a, that's an outside. They were just showing they're sorry and really they're repenting. This is all about the city of Nineveh, the king of the, all of them, this greatest city at the time being right now is hearing somehow through Jonah's, you know, confusing and obtuse message, they're hearing the voice of the Lord saying, repent. And they are yielding. They're yielding quickly. They're yielding easily because for some reason, there's a grace on this moment that the Lord is releasing and, and the people begin to turn. The hearts of the people begin to turn. And verse 10 says this, then God saw their works 
that they had turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon him and he did not do it. Now we're going to go right into to chapter four. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. I really want to, to, to take a moment here and understand what's going on. Jonah was the man of God. Jonah was God's spokesperson. And he knew the, the ways of the Lord. And, and he knew that when he was given this assignment to go into this city, this, this city that was evil, a city that was wicked, a, a city that was, was against God. It was one of God's enemy cities, right? And he knew that if he were to go into that city, and if he were to begin to bring the message that, that God was getting ready to judge him, he knew that there was a chance that God would have mercy on that city. That God would begin to, to turn the hearts of, of those people in that city in such a way. I mean, it's, it's really a miraculous revival that begins to break out in Nineveh. And, and it comes to the people of Nineveh against the will of the people of God, because the people of God see the people of Nineveh as their enemies. And it's so, um, it's so revolting and offensive to Jonah that God could actually be so merciful and loving towards God's enemies. And as we read the book of Jonah, we have to understand who we are in this story. It's, it's, a, it's a satire on, on really the state, and the, the state and the sake of our hearts. See, we're Jonah in this story. Uh, you're Jonah. I'm Jonah. And, and a lot of times the people of God can begin to, begin to try and think for God. We talked about this uh, last week a little bit. And, and, and one of the things that we have to understand when it comes to the people of the world, when it comes to, to those that don't believe in Jesus, when it comes to those people, we have to understand that God's heart is drastically and radically for them. Even the people that we think are so opposed to him. See, God has incredibly big shoulders. He's not easily offended. And we actually are incredibly, incredibly easily to be offended. And so typically what happens is we become offended by who we view as God's enemies. And then we project our offense onto God. And, and we begin to even expect and maybe even pray that God begins to bring his holy wrath and judgment on all of those people. But God thankfully, is very different from me and very different from you. God is unbelievably merciful and gracious. He, he's, he's so kind and caring for people that are so adamantly against him. 
God's enemies are often his targets of love to overcome and overwhelm them with his love and grace. And for folks like us, maybe there's folks like me, it's radically offensive because we have put ourselves on God's side. But what we don't understand, just like, just like in Joshua, when the, when the man of God came to him, this angel of the Lord came to him and, and Joshua said, what, whose side are you on? He said, I'm not on any of y'all's side. I stand in the throne room of, of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Holy of Holies. And he ain't on any of y'all's sides. He's on his own side and he's doing whatever he wants to do, however he wants to do it. So don't kid yourself, Joshua. You may be going into promise, but the Lord is in control and your enemies aren't necessarily his enemies. And it's really important for us to understand as a church right now, because this is the moment that we find ourselves in. We find ourselves where uh, people are pitting themselves against one another. And, and honestly, and it doesn't take a prophet to see this, it's going to continue to get way worse. Okay. And as that's happening, we begin to have a self-righteous uh, attitude where where we even see ourselves as as being those that are worthy of God's grace, worthy of his love. And we see those who who we see doing, you know, whatever we, we think is terrible things. And and the people of Nineveh, I mean, this is the thing I love about the scriptures. It makes no excuses, no bones. What they were doing was evil. It was just evil. Whatever evil means to you, that, that was happening in Nineveh. So the, the most vile, wicked, evil things that come to your mind when you hear the word evil, that was going on in Nineveh. And this is what made Jonah so upset because he wasn't, he wasn't wrong here. The, the people were terrible, wicked people. They probably did you know, a significant amount of harm to him. But he knew that it was God's good nature to, to turn aside the wrath that they deserve the wrath that we deserve because he so loves the world so much that he sent his son not to condemn the world but to save the world see this is the picture this is why jesus even harkens back to this story because this is the picture of the gospel god had enemies everywhere and and i was one of them and so were you and even then, even while we were enemies of him, he came with this most amazing, ravishing, over-the-top and offensive grace and love towards us. We're Nineveh and we're Jonah. And what we have to understand is that the Lord is for people. He, he loves them. They are not his enemy. And it is not his good pleasure to smite a bunch of people right out of here. He wants everyone to come into uh, an amazing, restorative, life-giving, uh, uh, predestined, pre-authored pre uh, life that he has for them. He, he wants everyone to come into that life. Everyone. And no one is too far gone. If anyone was too far gone, it was Nineveh. He could have come and sent his revival to, to any place. 
but he chose the worst place, the place that seemed the least likely, the place that seemed the least deserving, the place that seemed uh, the most offensive and outrageous place for God to send his grace in a revival of holiness and repentance. He sent them to Nineveh. And there are people in our lives that would fit the category of Nineveh. Uh, there's people we know that, would, that, that we would say probably owned a lot of real estate in Nineveh. And we've probably, if you're anything like me, you've set your heart against them. Maybe even self-righteously. Maybe even for good reason. And, and you've written them off and, and you've said they're too far gone and you've said that it, it doesn't matter what happens to them. In fact, whatever happens to them, they deserve it. And maybe you come into this place of, of indignation and, and you've justified that. But, but the book of Jonah is for us. We're Jonah. And God comes to Jonah and he says this. We're, we're going to pick right back up right at the very end uh, of the book of Jonah. So that'd be chapter four. Jonah continues to complain to God, wishes for death. God doesn't do it, but God kind of honestly messes with him a bit. He sends this tree for shade, and then Jonah seems to be pretty happy with his tree for shade, and then he just like cuts it out, and the shade tree dies, and he just makes it really hot on him. It's, it's almost like the Lord's messing with him a little bit. Um, and in chapter uh, 10, uh, so, so Jonah's complaining about this. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 10, he says this, But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and much livestock. And then it ends with the animals. I don't, I don't really know. God cares about your animals, I think is what it says. But he also cares about the people. He numbers the people because he, what, he, what he's trying to get into Jonah's head, and I think what he's trying to get into ours is that he so loves the world, he so loves the people, and it's the people that matter so much to him because he birthed them, he created them in his image, he, he, he had plans for them, right? He, he has, this is what Ephesians tells us, is that he's, he's dreamt dreams for people, for people that are adamantly opposed to him right now. And he has plans and dreams that he has been dreaming since before the foundations of the earth were created. And, and so he has, he, he has in his mind, if you can even think about this for just a moment, he spent eternity dreaming up good things, good plans for those people who are adamantly and ardently opposed to God. Who, who, are, who are completely at odds with him and would call themselves his enemy. You've met people like that. Those people, he, he's held in his heart and he's, he yearns for them to come back into a relationship, in, into the restora uh, restoration that awaits them. He, 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 he's, he's there and he doesn't need them, right? So we're not saying that. He, he doesn't uh, have to have them. But he longs 
for things to be made right. We, we see this with, with our Savior, Jesus, as he's looking and he says, man, he's just weeping. He says, I have longed to gather you unto myself. There's something in the heart of God that when he sees the enemies that we see, there is this longing where he, he is longing to gather them unto himself. And if you want to be on God's side, which I do, and I hope you do as well, if you want to be on God's side, you have to have that longing. You, you have to have this burden for the lost, the burden for the people that are too far gone, a burden for the city that's, that's too far gone, a burden for a country, a burden for a land, a burden for you name it. A burden that begins to, to grip you in such a way that you would do anything to begin to see them come into their destiny, to come into a right relationship with their father. This is God's heart for people, even those people. And how does he judge his people? Well, he, he does. And he brings his judgments. And how does he judge a city? Well, he does. But his judgments are restorative. His judgments are for good. And for us, one of the things that we must begin to, to do is to say, Lord, first, would you give me a heart for the people that you have a heart for? And I'll tell you, that's everyone. And then would we begin to go and begin to say, listen, 40 days, you're going to be turned upside down. Now, what's interesting about this, this is fascinating. I heard somebody say this and it's brilliant. I didn't make this up. I wish I did. I wish I had come up with it, but I didn't. Um, here's the deal. So a prophet speaks the words of God, okay? And Paul tells us that, you know, he, he wants for all of us to prophesy. And, 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 and so there's a, there's a New Testament ideal of uh, we're now able to, to speak prophetically. But here's a picture of what happens. So this prophet goes to Nineveh and speaks these words. I, I would even say sarcastically or haphazardly or just not great at best. And he speaks these words. He speaks the words of the Lord, even, even twisted in his own way. And he says, 40 days, this, this city will be turned, overturned. But the word overturned actually means turned upside down. And so what's interesting about this is that that actually came true. Even the king, even the animals of the king went into this mode of repentance and bowing their knee and worshiping to, to the Lord. And the city flourished and, and revival came and it was turned upside down. And so as a people of God who carry the spirit of God inside of us and the spirit of God speaks out things and begins to proclaim things. And so part of what we're destined to do is to begin to walk into the Ninevehs of our lives, walk into the people who, who own the largest piece of real estate in Nineveh, walk into the cities that we feel are the most far gone and begin to say, in just a moment, things are getting ready to turn upside down because God loves this city so much. He loves this person so much. And it won't be long until the Lord's grace will, will hound them down, will begin, to, will begin to lavish upon them, and we will see a complete and, and total reversal of their destiny. They will come into the presence of the Lord Almighty. I challenge you this week to just begin to pray that way. When you see the people, maybe on the news, maybe across the street, 
wherever it is that you think should live in Nineveh, you begin to proclaim to yourself, just in the atmosphere, that there is coming a revival to that person. There is coming restoration and there is coming salvation. And begin to watch first what the Lord begins to do with your heart. You will no longer see them the same way. You'll, you'll begin to capture the heart of the Lord for those people. And then you'll begin to see the restoration that comes to the people. This is the Lord's heart for this moment, for his people. How do we respond? We respond like God. Don't be like Jonah. If you take anything out of this, just don't be like Jonah. Be like God. Think like God. Have a heart for the people that seem so opposed to the things that you value and cherish the most. Because God is not easily offended. And he is a loving, merciful God. And let me just end it by saying this. Going back to chapter 4. If you want to know what God is like, this is what God is like. I know, says Jonah, that you, God, are gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. This is the God that we serve. And our message to people is, repent, change the way you're seeing things, because in just a little while, the Lord is going to invade your life, and everything will be turned upside down. And you'll begin to see revival and restoration come to those places in your life. We're going to pray. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you. We ask you, Holy Spirit, would you give us your heart? We, we can't muster that, honestly. We, we can't love our enemies without a miracle. It, it takes a miracle to do that. And so, Holy Spirit, would you do a miracle in us? Would you give us your heart for people? Would you give us your heart for the unlovable people in our lives, the heart for, for the enemies that we've made, the enemies that we see against you, the things that we find most offensive? Lord, would you give us your heart for them, one who is gracious and merciful and slow to anger, abundant loving kindness? Lord, we repent. We repent of our self-righteousness our indignation. We, we repent for, for being offended on your behalf and carrying around the chains and bondage of offense. Forgive us. Lord, you are always with us. And we will go into those places. And we will go not like Jonah begrudgingly, but gladly, because we long to see what you long to see. Your people gathered to you. So Lord, would you have your way? Would you do whatever it takes to bring us into your, uh, into your paths? Would you, would you do whatever it takes to lead us uh, into the ways that you have for us? Would you do whatever it takes to make our hearts beat for your heart? That's all we want. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, I went a little long today. I'm sorry. But... I want to tell you about a couple of things uh, really quick before we, we close. Number one, you, you may find yourself and think of yourself as someone who's opposed to God. 
and you hear this message about what, what this kind of God is like and it seems a bit different than, than what you'd expect. And maybe, just maybe, you've heard the voice of the Lord begin to call you back home or call you home maybe for the first time to a place where you've always felt you belong but you just didn't know how to put it. I'd love to talk to you. We have some pastors on staff who would love to talk to you. If you can click this, this link that shows up here below or go to our website at nashvillevineyard.org, you can find a thing that says uh, New Believer Class. And what that is, that's a Zoom. And you'll just jump on a Zoom thing with me, uh, with a couple other pastors, and we'll just begin to talk to you about what it means to actually begin to come into a relationship with God. It's amazing. And and I know that there are people right now that are listening to this. And so uh, that, that, that need you're just feeling that right now. The Lord is doing that. So that's wonderful. Just follow that. We'd love to talk to you about what that looks like. Second, if you're sick, COVID's going nuts. Uh, we've seen COVID Hill. I have, I have multiple stories from people who have prayed for, for people with COVID and just been healed. So if you're sick with COVID or anything else, we would love to set up a time that we can pray with you through our uh, Zoom healing rooms and begin to do that. Uh, third thing, if you are in Nashville and are Middle Tennessee and, uh, and, are, and are finding yourself without another person, group of, of people that are following Jesus and, and trying to, to follow Jesus and emulate him and, and spur each other on for good works, if, if you don't have that, we've got some incredible home churches that uh, have already started and several that are starting that we would love to plug you into. So you don't have to do this alone. Um, so you can find all of that on the website, naturalvineyard.org. And uh, we look forward to seeing you in those places uh, or right back here next week. For all upcoming events and more information about the Nashville Vineyard Church, please check us out at www.nationalvineyard.org. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day.